This sermon was recorded at Christ Church Overland Park, a congregation that seeks to be a people fully alive in God's kingdom. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be ex executed. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let, us, let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly for what we are getting, what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. The Gospel of the Lord. Good morning. Uh, my name is Dean. I typically serve over at our mission congregation, but Patrick's over there today and I'm over here. It's good to be here with you all this morning. Uh, I want to kind of maybe even underscore some of the stuff that Jason said at the top of the service, just orienting us to Lent. Today is our first Sunday of Lent, as he said, and uh, this is a season marked by humble repentance uh, and heightened spiritual awareness, heightened, you may even say, self-awareness. Uh, it's a season that invites us to remember our sin and our brokenness, as uncomfortable as that might be for us. It, it invites us uh, for a 40-day period to kind of look honestly uh, at ourselves. And we've tried to um, underscore some of that in our services this morning. Uh, you know, we're, gonna, we're actually going to sing the confession this morning, you know, the confession that we do every week, in an attempt to help those very familiar words like, hit differently for us this morning to try to, you know, kind of uh, put a, a special emphasis uh, on those parts of the service. Uh, so, however, in Lent we don't only look inward and focus on our repentance. In Lent we look upward and focus on God's mercy. That is a key component of, of celebrating a good Lent, is focusing on God's grace and mercy to us. And so like in our prayers of the people, our typical response, I think, for prayers of the people, you know how we have like a, sometimes a repeated response. Uh, it sometimes is, Lord, hear our prayer or something like that. So that for the season of Lent, we're going to do Lord, have mercy. Um, and really call out that, that phrase and that idea of mercy uh, throughout our service. And so anyway, Lent is a time to kind of behold and draw close to God's love and kindness towards us sinners. And I do want to say, if you are the kind of person that had intended to do some kind of Lenten spiritual practice, uh, you know, maybe to try to press into that heightened spiritual awareness, maybe do some kind of fast or uh, some kind of new way of reading scripture or praying. If you had intended to do so and have not yet started, even though Lent started last Wednesday, I just want to tell you, it is not too late, all right? Uh, you can start today or tomorrow or halfway through Lent or the day before Lent is over, and I, uh, I think that it will be a meaningful way to, uh, to experience the season. So I want to invite you to do that if you haven't already. 
All right, we're starting also a new series, a sermon series that will carry throughout Lent. And in it, we're going to look at the last sayings that Jesus Christ uttered from the cross. There are seven phrases that are recorded that he spoke from the cross in those final minutes and hours, and we'll cover five of them on Sundays. We're also displaying some art that is on this same theme from this modern iconographer, Scott Erickson. Those pieces of art are in the hallway, so I encourage you to check them out. Uh, Throughout the season of Lent, you can stop and look at them. They're not highly complex. They're very simple images. They invite more of your, like, meditation than they do your analysis, your careful analysis. And so I just want to exhort you as you're, uh, you know, kind of moseying up and down the halls here uh, to check out those pieces of art. There's one for each of the sayings. And I would say, so today is, uh, today you'll be with me in paradise. And so you might pay that one extra special attention today. Okay, the last sayings that Jesus said from the cross. I want to invite us into that headspace a little bit. Imagining, like, in your mind's eye, Jesus on the cross. Can you picture him there, as uncomfortable it is? Christ on the cross. I remember when I was a kid, my, I, I went to, like, a little Baptist church at, here in Kansas City. And uh, one year, my little Baptist church took a little field trip to one of these really big churches out in the suburbs that does one of these huge, like, I guess it's like an Easter production, but where they go through all the events of Christ's final days on earth. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And there's like very, like, very good, like professional actors and really good music and costumes and this, this whole big ordeal. And so me and my family and some people from my church went to see this show, I guess, you know, and, uh, and it was very good and very intense. And I remember specifically that while the um, soldiers were like crucifying Jesus, essentially, they had Jesus down on the ground, you know, and the cross, and there was a soldier with a hammer, you know, and he would, you know, gesture wildly. And then with each, with each swing of the hammer, there was a corresponding boom that like re- reverberated through the whole room. And every time I heard that boom, I'm a little kid, I got a little queasier, uh, imagining what was happening there on the ground with Jesus. So much so that when they raised Jesus up from the ground, uh, now, you know, bloodied and suffering uh, on the cross, the moment he came up, I remember I turned to my dad and I was like, I don't feel good. And he was like, okay, like, let's get out of here for a second. And so we walked out into the hallway where I promptly fainted. Uh, I, I, I am a fainter, but, uh, but it was just like such an intense and uncomfortable experience for me. And you can understand, I'm sure, to like really, really picture Christ suffering in that way or anyone for that, to that extent, but especially to experience Christ suffering in that way on the cross was like very troubling to my young mind, you know? But that is our task through the season of Lent and to some extent is to hold before our mind's eye Christ on the cross and his grace and his love and his mercy for us there, okay? Uh, So today we have the first of Jesus's last sayings and it's today you will be with me in paradise. I think that this might be true every week, by the way, but I think especially this week, our last saying of Jesus um, highlights to us not just uh, that Jesus was crucified, but why 
he was crucified. I think you'll see that as we unpack this uh, passage of scripture. It gives us a little sense of what, what he was doing there. Um, so, the line, today you will be with me in paradise. That line is spoken in the context, if you remember, and as you just heard, it's in the context of a conversation that Jesus is having while cru- being crucified on the cross between these two criminals who are also suffering and dying with him. And each of those three men that's hanging and dying on the cross has a line in this passage, and so we're actually going to look at each, what each of them say. So we'll do three points here. We're going to do an easy mistake, a hard admission, and a word of salvation, okay? So let's start with an easy mistake. Uh, one of the criminals speaks first, and he says this. Let's, uh, let's look at this passage here. Um, right here at the top, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah, he said. Save yourself and us. Now, it's important that we hear that question, aren't you the Messiah, in the tone in which it was intended. Of course, the criminal isn't saying to Jesus, aren't you that Messiah that I've heard about? No. The, uh, the criminal is mocking him and saying, aren't you supposed to be the one? Don't you claim to be the Messiah? If so, what are you doing up here? What are you doing on this cross? You see, if we back up a few verses, I think you'll see that this criminal is actually just joining the chorus of the whole crowd who is also hurling similar insults at Jesus. Uh, there are actually two groups that are insulting Jesus that day. The first are religious people, the religious rulers. Uh, let's see that other slide. Back up one. Yep. Or, yeah, go to the next one there. Oh, yeah, no, no. You're right, Matt. I'm sorry. Go to the other one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, right here. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, the rulers being the religious leaders, they said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. Now, we know that these are religious people because they use that phrase, uh, God's Messiah, the chosen one. Doesn't this Jesus claim to be the Messiah, the one that we've waited for for so long? Isn't he the one? If so, what is he doing here on the cross? the religious people mock. But they weren't the only ones sneering at Jesus that day. Down here at the bottom of the passage, the soldiers, so kind of the the pagan Romans, also insulted Jesus in a similar way. This is what they said. They came up and mocked him, and they said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. So for the pagan Romans, they didn't have any concept or much need for this concept of Messiah, the chosen one. They were like, we don't know We don't have any use for that phrase, but what we know as Romans are kings. We know kings, okay? And one thing that we know about kings, the Romans would say, is they don't get humiliatingly killed on a cross, okay? That's one thing we know about kings. So while the the religious people might say, there's no way that the God's chosen Messiah could die in this way. The pagan Romans were also echoing that same sentiment and saying, well, not kings either. That's not how it works. Kings don't get crucified. So the mistake that everyone, religious, pagan, and criminal, are all making here is that they can't understand that a powerful person, like a Messiah or a king, would choose weakness. They can't understand that. 
No, power is power and weakness is weakness. There's no power in weakness and there's no weakness in power. Messiahs can't die and kings aren't humiliated. That's not how this works according to the crowd. And so, of course, the thief says right along with them, yeah, you're right, this makes no sense. But the cross shatters that paradigm. At the cross, Christ demonstrates that, the, that in the kingdom of God, power chooses weakness and the strong humble themselves. He is the Messiah. He is the true king, but he chooses death. He humbles himself all so that we can experience life. And this is such an easy, again, an easy mistake to make because it turns upside down so much of the way that we see the world, so much of what we experience in the world. Like the crowd, we typically think too, look, power is power and weakness is weakness, and the two things don't go together. I want to read this passage from uh, 2 Corinthians. This is Paul now talking. It's a little tricky here, the language, because he's describing to his hearers a conversation between him and Jesus, a prayer conversation, basically, but this is what he said. But Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in triumph. No. My power, Jesus tells him, is made perfect in weakness. That's where my power is perfect. So Paul goes on. Therefore, I, Paul, will boast all the more gladly about my successes. No, about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest in me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Christ and the cross shows us that power and weakness are not incompatible. In fact, they are meaningfully linked in the kingdom of God. Certainly, we would say, the way of the kingdom of God has to be glory and triumph, and it absolutely is, but only on the other side of weakness and humility. It's a common mistake made by that first criminal to misunderstand something so fundamental about the kingdom of God. No way that the son of the living God would let himself be humiliated and killed. Right? Wrong. Okay, the second criminal he makes uh, what we would call the, a hard admission. There are kind of two parts to what the, this second criminal says. First, he addresses the other criminal. So picture them there, all three of them. And first, this second criminal looks across to the other criminal, and he says this. Uh, down here, halfway down. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Now, uh, in the church, we have grown accustomed to referring to these two criminals in a certain way. We call them thieves, don't we? The thief on the cross, you know, we, that's, it's common vernacular in the church. Uh, but it's for not good reason, honestly. The uh, the, pa- the word that this passage uses is actually criminal, more generic term. 
And we don't know exactly what these two guys did, but we're pretty sure that they weren't common thieves because if they were common thieves, they wouldn't be suffering capital punishment alongside Jesus that day. And the context and some of the nuance of the language lends us to assuming that these two guys were actually seditionists or insurrectionists, that maybe those were the crimes that they had been charged with. They had been charged with crimes against the Roman government. And so this criminal there was a man that had been condemned to die for sedition. And rather than insisting that someone bring him down from the cross, like the, other, like the first criminal did, he accepts his guilt. He makes a hard admission. He says to himself and to his fellow criminal, I'm guilty. You're guilty. We're guilty. Don't you see that? We are getting what we deserve. The second criminal, rather than being defensive and demanding, is convicted and broken. He could have been defensive too. You know, he, he could have said they were fighting for what they thought was right. But he doesn't get defensive. Instead, he makes the admission, I am guilty and I know it. Then he directs his gaze again away from the second criminal and he turns it to Jesus. And he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, in my view, there's kind of two scandals in this passage of scripture. The first is the first criminal being scandalized by Jesus, you know, that first criminal kind of saying like, are you? are you crazy? Like, how could you claim to be the Messiah and die in such a humiliating way? The audacity of you, Jesus, to claim this power and to be so embarrassingly mocked, you know? That's the first maybe scandal of this passage. But the second scandal of this passage is actually us being scandalized by Jesus. Or or especially, let's let's say this, us being scandalized especially by that second criminal. How could that second criminal have the audacity to ask for a place in God's kingdom at his 11th hour? How could he do that? That is a scandalizing theological question for us. Don't you, have you ever had that like um, hypothetical internal dialogue of like, what if someone that is like basically my enemy, you know, like some opponent of mine, someone whom I think of as being very far from God's kingdom. What if that person called out to God from their deathbed is how we would say it? You've done this mental exercise now? <laughs> Just me? Okay. Um, or our political opponent or someone, you know, someone that you perceive to be very far from God. It's a scandalizing question to imagine the audacity of a person in their final moments, to say, God, have mercy on me. And to get it, to receive it. Uh, I want to read this passage from Matthew chapter uh, 7. This passage, like, especially when you think of, when you hold up this passage next to the criminal on the cross, listen to Jesus talking here. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, 
I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So one can call out for mercy on the cross and is blessed. And others can call out to God and say, God, I've worked for you. I've worked so hard for you, God. And are told, I never knew you. How can this be? I think it comes back to that, the second criminal's hard admission. His posture towards Jesus is key. He doesn't say, Jesus, I've worked so hard for you. He hasn't. He says, I'm guilty. Have mercy on me. Jesus, the only hope that I have is your mercy today. I deserve nothing from you. I haven't worked hard for you, so I'm throwing myself on your mercy. Begs the question about our posture with Jesus. Do we ever channel some of that, I've worked so hard for you, Lord? Or are we, like the second criminal, willing to make the hard admission of, I'm guilty, and I deserve nothing, but I'm throwing myself on your mercy. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. All right, lastly, we come to Jesus' words in this passage. Truly I tell you, he says, today you will be with me in paradise. Christ extends his mercy to that second criminal. And here in this of his last sayings, he shows us the purpose and the reason for him being there on the cross. Christ came on a rescue mission to bring as many as he could to salvation. And even in his final moments, even with some of his last breaths, he is effortlessly pulling a few more into his kingdom. From death to life. What does he mean, though, when he says, today you will be with me in paradise? Today you will be with me in paradise. Does he mean, listen, criminal, you are about to die. (laughs) And... I am about to die, and so when we both die here today, here in a few minutes, we will be together in the afterlife. Is that what Jesus means here? That's probably what most of us assume that he means here, and I guess I want to say, look, he, does, he means at least that, okay? But I think he means more than that. How do we know? Let's think about the word today. Today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus is offering this word of salvation to the criminal, and he uses this word, today you will be with me in paradise. But Jesus doesn't just say to the criminal today because he happens to be going to die that day. How do we know? Because if that were the case, then all the other times when Jesus interacted with healthy people throughout the Gospels, then when he talked about salvation and giving them salvation, wouldn't he say, someday, Someday for you, when you die, salvation will be yours. Someday, out in the future. For the criminal, it happens to be today, but for you, it will be someday. But that's not how Jesus talks about salvation. You know, uh, you may remember the, you know the story of Zacchaeus. You remember the, some, some uh, details of that story quite well. One you may not remember is that uh, after Zacchaeus comes down from the tree and Jesus goes to Zacchaeus' house to eat dinner with him and his friends, Zacchaeus at some point in the dinner stands up and gives a speech about his newfound faith. And when Zacchaeus sits down, Jesus stands up. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to this man. Today. 
Not someday, out in the future, salvation will be his, but today, salvation is his. The thief on the cross, today, you will be with me in paradise. Today, whether you live or die, salvation is yours today. Yes, when we die, of course, we will be with him in paradise. But the salvation that Christ offers to the criminal and to each of us isn't only for someday, it is also for today. Today, we can live uh, in his kingdom. We can live in his kingdom forever, and we can experience and walk in his grace and life and the fullness of his ways in Jesus Christ today. Amen?